0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on FLMontreal.com. 707
1: on CJAD 800. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Josh, our first show of the year. How's your break? Uh, 2014
2: is uh, raring to go, good break, and a uh, little snowy outside, winter is still here, but you know what, so many more stories to go through.
1: Excellent, and yeah, uh, many weeks ahead of uh, interesting entrepreneur profiles, and tonight we welcome to the program Jason della of Execution Labs. Jason, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Hello. So first we begin with a really simple question, tell us about Execution Labs.
3: So Execution Labs is a, is a talent platform for game developers, we take experienced game developers, and uh, give them the business resources, funding, mentorship, and coaching in order for them to not only create a game but also start a new game studio.
1: We're we talking about video games uh, online, mobile.
3: We we focus specifically on mobile games. Uh, it's the right kind of chunk of game. We also think it's a huge opportunity from a business point of view. I mean, mobile games have really blown up in the past, uh, uh, you know, three four years.
2: How did you get into this? I mean, this is something that, I mean, gaming has been around a long time development, but where's your background? Is this something that you kind of jumped in out of nowhere? Or you've been involved in this for a while.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I've been in the game industry probably uh, 17, 18 years or so. Uh, like most people in the game industry, this is still very much an industry of uh, of passion. Uh, most people working in games are are very passionate about the art form. Uh, and oftentimes they grew up as as gamers, uh, and so they're very passionate to sort of make their own games. And and you know whether they're artists or designers or programmers, uh, and so you know I, I was certainly one of those gamer geeks. Uh, well, still am, I suppose, uh, <laughs> and, and was really driven to to be part of the the game industry and and found my way in a while back. But that's it. So
2: now, so you came in. Did you? I mean, you, what were you doing before Execution Labs came into play?
3: Yeah, I mean, Execution Lab is only about a year old, um, so. When I first started, I was much more so on the technology side of things uh working on graphics chips and uh you know networking middleware all this kind of uh, techie techie stuff uh and then uh you know I got fired a few times from a bunch of companies for various reasons uh and then I ended up being the uh, the director for the game industry association called the i g d a or international game developers association uh and it was sort of more just by chance because I had no clue what I was doing uh and ended up you know, going from a, a three-month trial, like probation period, to to doing it for nine years, uh, serving in, in that particular role.
2: And you're, I mean, right now you're bringing game developers, teams within Execution Labs to create it. I mean, was this idea in your mind before you came in? I mean, how did? At what point did the light bulb go off? What were you doing that it that it happened?
3: Yeah. So, so a lot, a lot of different inspirations uh, for Execution Labs. Uh, After nine years of running the Industry Association, uh, I stepped down and was doing consulting, uh, more so on the business side as opposed to more of a designer art side. And uh, a lot of the work that I was doing was with governments around the world on how to foster or grow the game industry in their particular region or or country. So I was very fortunate. I got to fly over the world, you know, one week you're in Brazil, the next you're in Malaysia and you know everywhere in between. Um, but very fulfilling work in terms of trying to create an entrepreneurial ecosystem specifically around games and, and game development. With governments. Entrepreneurial yeah. system with governments. Well with the support of governments, okay. right? I mean so what a lot of governments will do is they'll kind of identify hot sectors or hot industries where there's, you know, it's a growing industry, et cetera. And, today games amazingly are on that sort of top three top five list along with biotech and cleaner green energy etc and so governments will sit around the table and say well we've identified games as a good business to have in our country but geez we have no clue how game economics work and so on and so they would call me up and say well we need some help to figure out you know what Incentives do we put in place? How do we? What you know? What what systems can we do to support the growth of of, of game studios? And one of the things that I was often advocating was this idea of uh, startups, of seed investing, on on doing the things necessary to get kind of homegrown companies to 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 get started, to create their own intellectual property, their own games, uh, and really sort of build things from the ground up. Uh, and this idea of of incubators, accelerators, you know, as part of that discussion. Um, and then there's a um, an early stage investor uh, in Montreal called Real Ventures mm-hmm. that was having similar ideas. They thought there was an opportunity in Montreal to kind of disrupt the talent pool a little bit uh, and and provide this kind of platform uh, to help developers become entrepreneurial and build their own games. And we sat down for lunch one day and they sort of said, "Well, hey, you know, stop just advising governments to this. Why don't you do it yourself?" And you know, we're pretty interested in this and. You know, don't screw it up and we've got some, some money, some funding for you. And it just went click. The yeah.
1: uh, the thing I find interesting is I, I hear about a lot of incubators, particularly in the tech industry, but not very many uh, when it comes to gaming. I can't think
3: of any. Are you, are you unique in, in Canada, in the world in that respect? So uh, we are quite unique. I mean, Execution Labs, I would not say is the first incubator in the world. There had been other efforts. Uh, but the way we'd sort of design our program, the model it's nine months the, the way we do funding it does not exist anywhere else in the world and I think is you know we design it in such a way that would we play well within the Montreal and more broadly Canadian uh, game industries. Um, there are a few others around the world but but really not as comprehensive uh, as what we're doing um, but we were certainly inspired by uh, other accelerators, incubators. I mean, in Montreal, there's a really good one called Founder Fuel, but it's more broadly for technology, you know, mobile web, e-commerce, etc. It doesn't really do games. Uh, And of course, the big one is down in Silicon Valley called Y Combinator. Uh, Techstars is another very popular one. So we we were inspired by a lot of different models. uh, But because we're games and games only, and specifically mobile games, we really thought of ways to optimize that pipeline to really think about well, what's the outcome that we want, and we design sort of the black box in the middle, the model in the middle to achieve those results.
2: Why Montreal? Why did you stay here? I mean, you traveled throughout the world, uh, and you saw these locations with the talent everywhere. Why did you pick Montreal?
3: Yeah, well, so so, uh, great question. I mean, Montreal is really a hotbed of game development uh, in terms of uh, its position within Canada. It's certainly the number one game development hub within Canada, uh, and and Canada more broadly is... Ranks sort of third behind the U.S. and Japan from a game production point of view. Uh, so the talent is there, but what's what's interesting is the Canadian, and especially the Montreal development community, was very much weighted towards large. Sort of big productions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Assassin's Creed, great game, very, very famous game made right here in Montreal, you know, sold for millions and millions of units. Uh, IDOS, Ra- I mean, there's a bunch of great, great productions happening here, but all huge, requiring millions of dollars, you know, even upwards of seven, eight hundred people on a development team. Um, and while, you know, if you have one of those hits, you know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, Call of Duty, uh, you know, in one day makes a billion dollars, or Grand Theft Auto. You know, if you have one of those hits, great, but the industry is shifting more and more towards mobile, digital, online, uh, using freemium or free-to-play business models. Um, and, you know, so so part of our motivation at a macroeconomic level was to provide some diversity within the Montreal and Canadian ecosystem and, and I mean, in some ways provide an opportunity for uh, developers who wanted more creative independence to sort of break away from the large huge productions and say, well, I've got an idea. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD 800, our guest is
1: Jason DeLaRocca of Execution Labs. More with Jason in a second, but...
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants, and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from
1: outstanding business people. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Frilo Landau's Josh Miller, on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Jason DeLarocca of Execution Labs, and Jason uh, Jason heads an incubator uh, for particularly for online mobile, mobile gaming. Um, so highly specialized, Jason. Uh, not very many services like this for for you know uh, for uh, innovators in, in the gaming industry around the world. Um, it, so you were saying, I mean, Montreal clearly is is a very good place to be uh, in this industry, is it not?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, the model we have really requires that the people coming in are experienced developers, programmers, artists, designers, producers, etc. Uh, we're not. Teaching them how to make games. We, you know, we don't take kids out of school. Uh, in fact, some of the teams we have, you know, have upwards of of uh, you know ten, twelve years of development experience. Now, that being said, they are rookie entrepreneurs. You know, they've been part of very large production teams. They've been very focused on very you know granular technical tasks. So super skilled from a development and production point of view. Uh, and they may have the entrepreneurial spirit. And in fact, that's part of our interview process is to really get a sense of you know, if we throw these people, you know, in, in the dungeon, will they will they survive uh, and will they persevere and sort of do the things that are required to succeed a, as a business person, a, as a startup studio? Um, so they all have that entrepreneurial fire in the belly, but are lacking experience there. But from a from a development talent point of view, uh, I mean, they're all rock stars. Where do you, Where do you find them? Where do you
2: find these teams or these individuals that can really be hopefully the next big thing?
3: Yeah, it's it's a mixture of, of um, sort of we find them and they find us. Uh, you know, we're well connected within the, the, the community here in Montreal and more broadly across Canada. Uh, and so we, you know, go to various events and community networking uh, receptions, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and we're able to, you know, identify some of the hot talent and encourage them to, to, to come on board and be part of the program. And then the reverse happens as well where sort of out of nowhere we get an email or a phone call or, or someone just contacts us and say you know, I I, I want to take the dive. I want to, you know, be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own studio. I, you know, I want to give this a shot and they come see us.
2: So you must get quite a number of, requ- of requests and, you know, how do we get to join? Because you're offering this phenomenal service, this phenomenal coaching, this phenomenal base of information, which you want to share. Your vetting process, your interview process. Maybe, can you give us maybe a couple of highlights of the things you look for and the process you take to really bring out or, or select the best group?
3: Sure, so it, it starts with a, an online application form where the teams fill out information about themselves individually, uh, then their history as a team, what have they done together, etc. cetera, uh, and then uh, a bit of information on the project that they're dreaming about that they want to do if they are mm-hmm. to be accepted in the program. Uh, we really emphasize on the team, on the team dynamics, uh, complementary skills, communication, styles, uh, you know who's filling in what role? Who's the sort of the idea person, the visionary? Who's the the one really thinking about the the you know the cash flow and the dollars, business elements? Who's more the technical lead? Who's the artistic lead. Is this based on interviews, or you're doing like psychometric testing, or uh, like, you know how yeah. deep do you get Je- into their Je- characters? Jedi mind tricks? Uh, we <laughs> Luke, bring we bring them fall, in. Fall, <laughs> yeah, we we bring them in for face to face. We call them meetings, not interviews, since we're not offering a job. We're right. you know platform for them to start their own companies so so yeah we, but it's a really uh, intense process where, where we're kicking the tires we're challenging them we're seeing to what degree they're uh, able to take feedback and, and criticism uh, you know how driven are they from the business point of view or are they really sort of just looking to have a creative outlet because it has to be a, a kind of a marriage between well, creativity and innovation, but also they realize that they are going to make money with this, uh, you know, since we do have investors that, you know, want to see, uh, you know, their money back to a certain extent.
1: Jason De La Rocca, our guest on Today's Entrepreneur. He's from Execution Labs. More after the break at 7.23.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.26
1: 7.26 on Today's Entrepreneur. Welcome back. Jason De La Roca, our guest of Execution Labs. Jason heads an incubator for uh, mobile video games. Uh, certainly a very unique service. And uh, Josh, we're talking about sort of why Jason is here in Montreal and, uh, and also how the business works. Um, Jason, do, do you want to talk a bit about, uh, I guess, uh, you know, how uh, we were talking about how you get clients. Uh, how do you market? Uh, the Execution
3: Labs? uh, I mean, there's actually two pieces of the marketing. I mean, the one part is Execution Labs towards the industry, so kind of an internal uh, marketing where, you know, we have to do things to attract talent uh, and want developers to sort of take that entrepreneurial leap. Uh, and so, how do we market ourselves? you know I mentioned briefly before the idea that we go to various conferences and networking events uh you know to meet to meet talent uh, and that's part of us being seen as as sort of knowledge leaders and leaders within the the community. Uh, and we do other things to kind of keep a high profile uh you know we have our social media outlets and we you know tweet and have our Facebook updates and all that kind of stuff just to kind of keep a, a awareness within the community. I mean, that's one particular challenge. The other one, which is the much greater challenge, is working with the teams once the games are made because they're taking their games directly to the App Store and Google Play, and they're trying to find, you know, tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of gamers of, of users to download the game and play the game and so there too we work with the teams uh, and and provide expertise on, on how to how to go about that what do you find is the best outlet for this kind of con- consumer
2: facing marketing is it the social media is it the website is it what drives the most people in your experience to these potential gaming
3: y- yeah I mean it's um, its it's it's not easy. I mean, in fact, in the in the mobile space, the biggest part is discoverability because the barrier to entry to release an app is quite low. You know, everyone's releasing stuff. So how do you, you know, how does your awesome game or awesome mm-hmm. app get above the noise of all of the other ones that are obviously not as awesome as yours? Without spending a gajillion dollars? Yeah, I mean, so you can do just hardcore marketing, user acquisition, and so on. But I mean, at the end of the day, having a great game and you, you want to actually design things in the game that encourage one player to send it or encourage a friend to play. So Candy Crush is a, is a popular example these days. In order to advance through certain parts of the game, mm-hmm. you have to get uh you know 10 of your friends to send you a ticket, and you have to encourage them. And so there's all this kind of social aspect. So this is what we call virality. So implementing social mechanics within the game to encourage people to share and invite their friends. I mean, in many ways, that organic or viral uh, marketing is the most powerful. Uh, but there's many other ways to you know work with Apple and Google to get highlighted in the App Store. You know, spend money on 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 user acquisition. Uh, you know, getting strong reviews, critical reviews. I mean, there's a lot of different sort of tools in the, in the toolbox.
2: Is this is this something you guys do in house? Do you outsource any of your marketing efforts, either for yourself or for, it, it, for your it's, teams?
3: It's uh, I mean we're 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 scrappy startups. We do it all all in house, uh, and uh, I mean we have certain partners for certain elements. Uh, you know there there's there's different ad exchanges that you use um etc um, but all all of that effort is done in fact one of my uh, co-founders uh, Keith Katz is out of San Francisco and his expertise is, is marketing monetization and so on so he works with the teams on their on their marketing plans and user acquisition strategies and uh, and and sort of managing the relationship with Apple and Google and Amazon and Facebook you know all, all the sort of the the platform partners out there
2: there's certainly a lot that goes on and there's a lot of growth and expectations and planning you know but on the other side of it, you know, there's got to be a cash flow aspect, there's got to be some money that's helped driving you know, the teams, paying the salaries, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that these ideas come out, and on the other side of the news, Dan, I think we're going to explore uh, the investor side and the, a little bit of the money side and how that kind of works within Execution
1: Labs. Sounds good, and we'll take a look at HR later in the hour as well. Uh, but
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants, and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.35,
1: 7.35, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening is Jason Della Rocca of Execution Labs. Uh, he is an incubator for uh, mobile uh, video games, and uh, certainly, Jason, obviously you have to work with a lot of investors. Uh, tell me how how that process goes. Is it sometimes a hard sell to convince angel investors to get in on uh, an industry which is still uh, in its infancy?
3: Yeah, so the- the game industry has certainly had a an interesting history with uh, with the venture or investment uh, community. Uh, you know, games generally are what you would call hit driven and or content driven, uh, and VCs tend not to um, you know like content driven uh, investments. But uh, I mean, one of the unique things about exclusion Labs is we're really sort of managing a portfolio, uh, and because it's mobile games and using a freemium or free to play business model you know, each game, even if it's an incremental success, contributes to the success of every subsequent game. So it's kind of an additive effect, as opposed to just rolling the dice uh, each time. Uh, And so that, you know, model definitely is much more appealing to investors. Um, The investors we have, I mean, I mentioned Real Ventures, uh, one of the Montreal uh, early stage investors Uh, earlier in the conversation. I mean, they're really strategic minded. I mean, they're really into supporting and developing the ecosystem uh, in Montreal, you know they're embedded. They're running Notman House, which is a, a you know a space for other entrepreneurs and startups to uh, to grow and, and learn. Um, and so while certainly, you know they want this to succeed and generate revenue and, and, and you know have a return on investment. I mean to them it's very much a strategic initiative, and that goes for uh, one of our other investors as well, which is uh, BDC. Uh, venture capital, so the the venture arm of, of the BDC, uh, you know, where they have a particular mandate to support these kinds of initiatives that really are developing the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Uh, and, and so a great level of strategic support. I mean, of course, again, there's, you know, uh, financial uh, requirements that, you know, we're not just sort of throwing money away, uh, but very strategic minded. Uh, we have another investor from Europe called White Star Capital, uh, that has experience specifically with investing in other sort of unique incubator accelerator type uh, type models uh, and was quite interested in, in what we were what we were offering
2: there's there's a few different names that you mentioned do they all have the same goal do you have to manage each of the investors a little bit separately do they look for different uh, I guess returns or information how do, how do you manage and balance all of them
3: yeah I mean interestingly enough uh, for those who are not sort of familiar with the venture side of things and pitching and sort of seeking out uh, angels and whatnot, um, it's actually a really sort of human process. It's, it's really, uh, uh, in many ways, illogical or irrational, emotional. Uh, you're really building relationships uh, on trust and faith, on, on vision, et cetera. And credibility. And credibility, track record, all of these things. You're really managing relationships with people who, who believe in you. Uh, and fundamentally, when you get investment, it's because that person believed in the vision that you could could execute. Um, and it, it's really, you know, the, the numbers come secondary, right? I mean, every conversation that I've had with potential investors, it's been much more about vision, track record, street cred, all that kind of stuff. And assuming you pass that test, then it's like, okay, now I need to see the numbers to justify the fact that I want to invest in this sort of I- endeavor. Um, so to your point, Josh, I mean, it really is about managing you know, each investor is an individual, not just a, a wallet that's giving you money um, and, and sort of making sure they're all on the same page, that they're believing your vision, that they're supporting you. We're very fortunate that our board of directors, our investors, uh, you know, really believe in the vision uh, and are very supportive. They open doors for us. Uh, you know, if we need sort of help on the strategy, you know, they, they kind of roll up their sleeves and, and, and get behind us. So it's been a, a really good experience uh, with our investors in particular.
2: So when they invest, I mean, they become shareholders or part owners of execution labs. You, I presume you have some agreement between all of you, uh, you know, either something doesn't work out or, or how do you be, deal with the process of moving forward if there's growth or whatever. Do you have things in place so that you all maintain on the same page, at least from a legal perspective.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So one of the things when you get external investment, it really requires you to be rigorous about all of those sort of legal documents, shareholder agreements, all this kind of stuff, employment contracts, uh, and really is kind of a stipulation to even get the monies. You have to have all that stuff Mm -hmm. in place. Uh, And so it forces you to have those conversations up front. Uh, you know, how are we going to share equity? How are we going to, you know, each benefit from the proceeds of success or not? Um, you know, how are decisions going to get made? You know, who's going to do tiebreakers? How the board is structured? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- those are quite, you know, huge documents that you have to to dig through and are a bit daunting if you've never done it before. And
2: a, potentially a long process.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, our our, our model because it is quite unique. Uh, and knew we couldn't really use the vanilla templates and, and did require some amount of of, uh, of uh, sort of custom work. You know, luckily, one of my other co-founders has a, a mind for these and the patience to read yeah. through all of it. So uh, this is uh, Alex Peltier uh, normand who has a huge amount of experience, more so from a production point of view, but, you know, really sort of patient uh, and digs through all of that Um and uh, yeah, I mean, you really have to take the time uh, and sort of don't just sign stuff because you don't want to, you know, read through things. But speaking of, you know, you're talking about
2: legal and and certainly there's a protection aspect. I mean, you're dealing with with what everybody knows is intellectual property or IP, uh, with all the games and the development that's going on. What do you do to protect yourself? How do you deal with so that nobody else steals your ideas or the team's ideas?
3: Yeah, I mean the challenging thing is um, ideas in and of themselves are not protectable. Uh, I mean the game industry is primarily a copyright or trademark based uh, industry. Um, you know, so you can certainly uh, trademark Angry Birds, the logo and sort of name and treatment and so on, um, but you cannot necess. Well, you shouldn't be able to protect, uh, you know, the the concept or the idea of shooting birds in the air Mm -hmm. you know kind of thing Um, you can protect that exact implementation of it and someone can't sort of screen for screen you know drawing per drawing uh, duplicate it Uh, but this idea of cloning within the game industry is actually quite a big issue where you know an innovative developer will create a game that sort of hits it big and then you have some of the sort of more corporate studios that will say oh well look at that one it's hot let's just grab it and clone it Uh, so it definitely is challenging and at our scale We really push the teams to be open uh, and share what what they're working on. We find that the value of getting early stage feedback and input uh, is better than the risk of of your idea being uh, stolen. Do
1: you find that uh, finding increasingly original ideas in gaming is hard, just based on the, the volume, the fact that everything's mobile now, it's easier to produce?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's quite amazing. I mean, the game industry's been around for a few decades now. Uh, and and every day we still see stuff that amazes us. Um, and, I mean, there's certainly different kinds of innovation or creativity. I mean, there's something more incremental, which is, you know, it's a racing game like most other racing games, but it has this one little thing that nobody ever thought of and, you know, I don't know, the cars fly or, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super fun and, and interesting and, and great. And then you have sort of disruptive innovation, which is, you know, we just never, ever seen it before. And it's totally new. Um, and, and, you know, certainly we see a lot more of the incremental stuff, like little twists on something we've seen before. It's more rare to see the hugely brand new disruptive stuff, but, I mean, it still happens in the game industry, and in part is why this industry is so exciting. And I would say that we're seeing that on multiple levels, right? We see that from a business point of view. So even just a few years ago, the concept of freemium or free-to-play didn't exist. So that's a massive, massive business model innovation that totally is disrupting and changing how the game industry works you know, from a design point of view, creativity, and cultural point of view, the types of games we're seeing, the subject matter they're addressing, um, you know, is is very, you know, the game, amazing game where, um, you know, you're sending uh, uh, people to concentration camps, and you don't realize that until the end of the game, and then you're all conflicted. Uh, It's it's a really interesting game called Train, uh, just as a, Sort of one example. So, from a cultural, aesthetic, you know, games as expression point of view, we're seeing innovation happening still on a massive scale, and then technologically as well, of course.
2: Do you have to deal with social responsibility when it comes to gaming?
3: I was going to say in
1: controversy because that that last idea. I mean, uh, do you have to sort of? Is there a, a controversy
3: threshold among your investors? Well, so I mean, execution labs. I would say we're not making concentration camp games. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's more sort of uh, you know arty. Uh, th- those kinds of games, while amazing, are not necessarily commercially viable. So the games we're doing generally are commercially viable for for a more mainstream audience. So we tend not to get into what would be perceived as a uh, you know, potentially controversial. Uh, but the game industry as a whole, you know, certainly has um, certain stigmas uh, and cultural challenges. Uh, in terms of you know fear of violence and censorship and addiction and all these other kind of fun, fun topics. So I mean certainly from a cultural point of view we're, you know the the scapegoat of of the day. And speaking of culture, I know there's
2: because you bring on so many different teams the culture and the human resource culture within the office. Uh, I'm sure plays a huge role and something that we think we should uh, get into. So
1: after the break, let's talk a little bit of human resources. HR, after uh, after the break on Today's Entrepreneur, our guest is Jason Della Roca of Execution Labs. It's 7.45. Um, 7.48, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening, Jason Della Roca of Execution Labs. And uh, let's talk some HR right now with uh, Michelin Mayette, HR specialist with Fuller Landau. And certainly, Josh, uh, Jason's business has a very unique uh, HR challenge. Well, I- I'm wondering, you know, just as
2: he got in and... You know he certainly puts a bunch of teams together it's different ages it's different backgrounds uh, I would say just quickly before we get to Michelin Jason uh, when you started this business I, I guess what was the first eye-opener when it came to human resources for you
3: yeah I mean definitely dealing with the sort of interpersonal relationships of the team members was probably the biggest surprise we had uh, you know we were sort of very heads-down and focused and you know into into production but at the end of the day You know, it really is a pressure cooker environment. You have different personality types, introverts, extroverts, engineers versus artists, uh, and managing and sort of coaching them through some of sort of these gnarly situations actually took, you know, a decent amount of time that we were not accounting for thinking about going into it. And um, it's super critical. And I, I mean, our situation is unique, but I think this is probably true of sort of just companies and business everywhere.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think integrating people into the company culture is already difficult, but here you're integrating actual teams that probably have their own background into a company culture like a different company culture probably, which is probably more structured and maybe less than, you know, what they might have had going into it. So yeah, definitely a challenge. You know, I think it's probably something common, even though it's something definitely unique in your case, but I think most companies probably have some type of issue you know when you're hiring somebody new to get them into the corporate culture a lot of people assume that you know an employee is an employee everywhere but they don't always realize how unique their own culture is and how there's all these kind of you know unsaid rules that come in in any workplace that they might not know going into it.
2: You know there's you say unsaid rules but at what point do you take those unsaid rules and and make your manual or really list things out uh, I mean it's tough to do with a culture side but certainly as a set of actual rules go could that help with the integration?
4: Yeah, definitely clear policies and procedures. I mean, they're definitely going to help with the integration. So they'll know, um, you know, in one environment, maybe skateboarding down the hallways is fine, where another one, you know, is, it's totally not. So, I mean, that's maybe an extreme example, but you have some things that are sometimes more subtle that you might not even put an employee manual. Like I've seen companies where walking through the office with your winter boots on is a huge no-no where other places, maybe they don't mind. So you could hire somebody new and they might not think about, I'm going to go walk to my desk and put my shoes on. But in that company, it's like a huge...
1: It's an issue at my office, actually. (laughs) I don't own boots, I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Jason, I mean, how do you bring the various teams Uh, to get into your culture, and I don't maybe that's part of the vetting process to begin with.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, it it is a two layered culture in many ways because there's the teams as sort of microcosms of culture. So each team is trying to develop their own identity and their own company as a, as a micro studio. And then there's the larger sort of lab culture, which is all those micro studios then under the same roof, kind of rubbing shoulders and working side by side. Um, one of our approaches is to be very transparent. So on our website we list our kind of company cultures, uh, sorry, company values. Uh, So it's very upfront. We try to sort of live by those values. I think what's important, certainly in larger companies, is you might have the written rules, but then there's the stuff that people really do. And you kind of like, to what extent is that cohesive or not? Um, So we don't have, other than our values, we don't have a set of policies and rules. We just kind of like live it every day. Uh, And it it is part of our recruiting process that, uh, just as an example, this idea of being able to give and take feedback and criticism is central to our process because we have mentors coming in and so on and, and I mean we do that in the meeting we say oh we don't like your idea you know how about th- like we on purpose challenge them to see do they freak out or they're like oh okay I, you know or, or is it kind of a conversation and recruitment certainly plays a huge role it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. sure
4: I mean I think being able to clearly identify what will make a person fit well in your culture is very important for example smaller companies maybe they're looking for somebody who's very entrepreneurial who could work maybe um, with less clear instruction that type of thing where maybe a larger company they might prefer people who are able to work by the rules and abide by procedures and that type of thing
1: more on hr and gaming with jason de la roca of execution labs on today's entrepreneur at 753
0: for professional advice with a personal touch consult fuller landau chartered accountants and business advisors click on flmontreal.com
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Remaining moments now with Jason De La Roca of Execution Labs and we're talking HR, uh, particularly when it comes to the video game industry with Michelin Mayet of Josh. And we're talking about
2: integration, you know, kind of a how do, you, how do you get your team member to understand and be part of the culture? And Michelin, maybe you've seen a, a couple of, of choices or a couple of examples that work that try and really build that, that inclusion.
4: For sure. I mean, a lot of it goes, um, you know, past the recruitment into actually orientation or onboarding when they're bringing the person into the team. So yes, we talked about policies before, but to get a better idea of the more informal side maybe of the work environment, some companies actually set up a buddy system where they have an existing employee teamed up with the new person, which can kind of show them the ropes of more like the, you know, the unspoken rules maybe that the company has. And I would say another key element is also just from a management perspective. Sometimes people th- take certain things for granted, so you know that certain things are going to be done a certain way or that certain things happen a certain way. So I'd say for the manager also, when you see somebody who's new who you know is doing things that are not really socially acceptable, let's say in the company, you know, to to talk to them about it really quickly, so the person knows, because maybe what they're how they're acting is completely normal from where they came from, but in your environment it's not. So I think addressing things quickly is also important.
2: Jason, have you seen any one of your team members in the past? You know, maybe going a little bit uh, off off roading from your culture. Like, how do you reel them in? What do you?
3: Well, uh- I mean, our, our situation is a little bit different is that we encourage off-roading, so <laughs> uh, we're, we're very much a uh, ask forgiveness after the fact type of uh, environment, uh, you know, because we are pushing boundaries, we're innovating, it's a unique environment, it's creative environment. It's a creative environment. Um, but. I mean, there's definitely situations uh, i mean just as one example, because it is a shared workspace, team members sometimes tend to get very loud as they're debating topics and stuff, and in the early days, it became quite disruptive, and people didn't realize so of as Michelin' saying it's like you have to say okay, everybody like I'm trying to work, and everyone's mm-hmm. just cheer, you know being too loud if you're gonna get loud and you're gonna have a big sort of brainstorm session go into the meeting room and sort of lock yourself in so you're not disrupting the whole you know the rest of the lab um so that's just sort of one little example of that michelin do do team building exercises
2: work i mean either getting a group out of the office or within i mean does that bring or help institute a culture
4: it's it's difficult i mean i think it depends on on the activity and what you hope to get out of it it's not it's never going to be a miracle solution i think it's a good way to get people to know each other in a more informal setting which can be nice um yeah, I mean, it's, not, uh, it's, it's a good idea, but I wouldn't say it's you know, not going to make miracles for you or anything like that.
2: And in the interview process, is it, do you think it's easy to ask certain or specific questions to try and get a feel for the culture, the type of characteristic of the, of the individual you're hiring yeah. and see where that fits? That's probably one of the better places to try and make sure that it could work in the long run.
4: Definitely. I mean, there's the interview, the type of questions you're going to ask to see what the fit of the person is going to be. But I'd say something, uh, you know, a big issue that I see is in terms of the employer giving the the potential employee a realistic expectation of how the company is run. You know, so they might say, oh yeah, we're very transparent, we're very innovative and maybe they're not that transparent or innovative. So I think also having a realistic self-assessment of your work environment. Um, you know the, your good points and your weak points to make sure that you're not selling somebody uh, you know the wrong thing when they start
2: really uh, you know if you're if you want the right culture it starts from the top and if uh, it doesn't start from the top then uh, certainly is going to be a whole mix of bad things that could happen afterwards <laughs> so as we come to the last moments of the show we'll turn to Jason and uh, in his many years of experience uh, we'll kind of turn to him and say what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur
3: yeah, I mean, I think the the most critical thing is to embrace failure. I mean, failure is such an amazing uh, way to learn. Uh, I mean, I've certainly failed a tremendous amount and fallen on my face on, on many occasions. Uh, and to me, failure is, I mean, is not I'm not afraid of it. I sort of jump off cliffs because I don't know what the answer is or I have certain assumptions and I want to validate those assumptions and, and you just got to jump. And sort of figure it out as you as you go down and and I, mean, I think the most important thing is being able to just jump back up on your feet when you do fail and say well i learned a whole bunch and just keep moving forward i think
2: it's great and, and dan the one quick takeaway I'll, I'll leave you with is what i've learned from jason is you know you can you can have the right gut feel and you can you can not be afraid to fail but it starts with a base knowledge it starts with being an expert knowing what you do and then from there
1: building a team around with the idea to make it happen. Micheline Mayette, a, f- a specialist with HR at Fuller Landau. Thanks for joining us again, Micheline. Thank you. And of course, Jason De La Roca of Execution Labs. Uh, fascinating business for a unique business. Thanks, Jason, for stopping by tonight.
3: Thank you so much.
1: And Josh, we'll see you uh, back next Monday night at 7 p.m. Mitch Joel of Twist Image, speaking exactly. of tech, will be on deck on today's Entrepreneur. It's 8 p.m.